Uh, This morning, we are continuing our time of Advent, which is a time where we look back at the birth of Jesus and everything that that means to our world. And we also look forward to Jesus' return, to the time where he will come back to us and God will make all things new. And we start out last week by talking about the candle of hope. And hope is so central to our experience with Jesus because there is no hope that compares with the hope that we have in him. Why is that? Well, it's because if we put our hope in things of this world, failure is always an option. Of all the relationships, those empower all of the things, all of the life goals that we may put our hopes in, all of those things potentially will fail us at some point. And at best, we can hope for the most positive outcome, but that hope is not grounded in certainty. It really is something that we may never grasp. But our hope in Jesus is something entirely different, and that is very, very good news. Jesus, through his birth, life, death, and resurrection, has given us a hope that is based on the promises of God. And God always keeps his promises to his people, even when his people don't keep their promises to him. Jesus is a huge part of that promise, that through Jesus we have life, an eternal life with God, that we are no longer slaves to sin, recipients of the death that comes along with it. Instead, we are made alive in Christ, and we know that one day the things of this world will pass, and as Paul says in my favorite quote from the Bible, what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Therefore, whatever comes our way, we can keep our eyes up, knowing that God has life with him waiting for us, and we wait with hopeful expectation for his return. So we move from hope to peace. And peace is something that I have a difficult time with. I don't have too much of a hard time with hope, but peace is something a little bit different. After all, there is so much in this world to be anxious or nervous or to worry about, isn't there? And I'm reminded of how as much as we may work to get things in line, to create an environment of peace for ourselves, you never know when something is going to fall apart. Let's take our friend Megan, for example who had to work late last night and then finally got to bed and had a little little cherub wake her up from 2 to 3.30 and then came in this morning and lost her voice in the middle of a song. Sometimes life happens, right? And as much as we try to put things in order so that we can manage life when it happens, life still remains unmanageable. It is a truth that we cannot deny. So let's see if we can gain a little bit of perspective on that here this morning. And we're going to do it in a weird way, but hang with me. Here is the crux of the matter. The coming of Jesus as Savior is a statement that all is not right in this world, that something is missing. I mean, you do realize, don't you? 
that the only reason we know Jesus as he is is because this world is profoundly messed up. And when I say profoundly, I mean in a way that cannot be reversed by those of us who live in this place. So the coming of Jesus says that the world is in fact lost, broken, and in need of a Savior. And this is the true nature of the world. We may not want it to be that way, but it is how it goes. Life happens all of the time. And as we experience that brokenness, as we get uh, go through times that are wonderful and that bring us to some sort of good feeling about the world, and then we go through times where we dip down into the valley and we wonder if we're ever going to get out of that place, or maybe even worse, we're in the in-between place where we can almost see where it's going to be good, but we're not there yet. We have some feelings that rise up inside of us. Sometimes it's frustration or anger that things aren't going the way that they should. Sometimes it's sadness or despair that we can't figure out what to do or how to do it. But this is the true nature of the world. It's how life is. And it's hard for us, as much as we believe that the world is beautiful, which it is, friends, God gave us a beautiful world and beautiful relationships and people and friends and life. But that life has its limits. And we see those limits all the time, don't we? Showing up in expected and unexpected ways. How many back surgeries will Susie have to have? Right? It just keeps going. And at these times, there is a brokenness that we may feel inside of us. We want things to be better. We believe that things should be better. And we know on some level that life is good. And it feels wrong to us to look around and say, well, but the world is broken and this is how it is. Because somehow that feels to us like we're giving up on life to a degree. Like we're not being appreciative. But the world in this life is broken and this creates a feeling inside of us. And I know that there are times in my life that I have been overwhelmed by something that I cannot begin to describe and the only way I can put it is that it's a restlessness deep inside me that says there has to be more to life than this. Than struggling with bills or car repairs or house repairs or children. I mean, I love you guys, but, you know, we struggle sometimes, right? Life is difficult in a lot of ways. Maybe you know what it's like to feel this kind of restlessness, to know that something is simply not right here, to want nothing more than to get up and to move and to make something happen. And restlessness is ultimately a really uncomfortable feeling for us. We don't want to feel this way. And my struggle with restlessness here is that I know that there is ultimately not a lot that I can do to change the way that this world operates to change the rules of how life is and how life goes. 
But I want to suggest to you that this feeling of restlessness that you may feel is actually a pretty good thing. And believe it or not, restlessness can lead you to peace. In fact, restlessness may be the key to leading you to peace. I know, I'm talking nonsense. It's not the normal thing that we would say here. But sometimes, you know, we don't appreciate how much hardship and struggle can be useful reminders to us. You know, when things are going great, it is hard to feel restless and to want to be away from the brokenness. You know, when things are going great, it's, it, it's like putting lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig, but it's prettier for a little while. But our struggle, when we struggle and when we have hard times, it does something really valuable for us. You see, it, it takes the shine off the world. And we begin to see things how they really are which again might lead us to feel like or to recognize or to know that the world around us is irretrievably broken. And that not only do we put our hope in the something more, but we recognize that the world needs something more. You know, it's not enough in and of itself. So I want to experience the time of restoration and wholeness that I can only have when I leave this world behind. That is what restlessness implants in me. That someday, praise God, we're going to get out of this dump. As beautiful and wonderful as it is. And put these things behind us. Now, you may be thinking, great, that doesn't help me feel more peace. After all, isn't restlessness the opposite of peace? So how does it help me find it? Would you please just get there already? Well, I'm really glad you asked. Uh, firstly, we need to remember that the restoration that is promised is a real thing, okay? It's not a concept or an idea. The Bible makes clear that Jesus will return and we will be restored. We will be made new. There is a time coming when God will set everything right and the things that are broken in this world will be put behind us. That is true. It's real. But restoration is also here now because God has a plan for the world now and not just in the future. And our ability to have peace is tied closely to that. As Israel's relationship with God became strained, as they moved farther away from him in life, God increasingly worse, they had this idea that God would one day set everything right. That one day he would do away with the old and bring about new growth and restoration. That Jerusalem would be new as the passages we read last week. That the temple would be on the highest hill and people would come from all over to worship God. That passage was from Isaiah as is this one this morning from Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 5. 
A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From, a root, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist now this is a striking image that isaiah puts in front of us and it starts out with what you remember all the way back from verse one before the shoot there is a stump which means that once there was a tree in that spot, but where is the tree now? It's gone. And all you have left is this stump. But for those of you who have tried to cut down a tree and not remove the stump, you know what happens next, right? There is a shoot that comes out of what is left. Think about that for a moment, okay? There is new growth that comes out from what is left, from this tree being cut down and gone. There is new growth. That is a very, it doesn't seem like it, but that is a very hopeful picture for us. That there is new growth coming out of this place because you see what was started is not gone. The tree has been cut down, but it is not dead. There are still deep roots. There is still a stump. And from that stump, new growth will come. And even though the roots are the same, this is truly new growth. It is a new tree, unlike the old tree in its shape and form. And what are the, the hallmarks of this new growth that is coming, what will this branch look like? Well, he will be empowered by the Spirit. He will have wisdom and understanding, counsel and might. He will have the knowledge and fear of the Lord. This new growth will be totally guided by whom? By God. This new growth is God-formed. He will do what is right for those who are in need. He is going to be a fair judge, not tricked by what is outside, but able to see what is inside the hearts of man. And he will be truly just, undeceived in giving no account to experiences. And we know that because who does he move on behalf of? The poor. He moves on behalf of the poor for those who have been most disillusioned by this world. Those who are the most restless. And to them, he comes and he, with this new growth, he makes things right. It's important to note that this new growth doesn't keep things the way that they are, but instead it upsets a certain worldly balance of power. Because just as this new growth 
moves on behalf of the poor and those who are in need, it also judges the wicked and sets them in their place as well. It's almost like this image is almost like a cosmic balancing of the world. That those who are weak will be lifted up and those who are strong will be brought down. Huh. Sounds pretty familiar. The branch that comes up is important because it, this image of, of judging and setting things straight, it is, it is sort of the antithesis of the corrupt judge, the system that supports those who have money or who live in the right part of town or wear the right clothes. And this is the tree where God himself reigns, forms, and guides. It is God who makes these rules, not those who hold power here on earth. There is a setting right of things. And the people of God, this image became a very important image to them because they were taken away from their homes. And they were living in another place where they were not in charge. And this idea that though their homes had been destroyed, that there was going to be new growth for them became an image and a message of hope in a time of great despair. Someday, someday, things will be set right again, and God will reign. And when God reigns, it makes all of the difference in the world. So the people of God who are living in with the end in mind, part of what we want is this restoration, right? We want the new growth. We want God to make all things new. And we say that if we have to live here on earth, we do not just want redemption in the future. We want God to move now. And I believe that even though I am waiting for the restoration of God, that God has begun his restoration within us. It is already started. We have an expectation that because God is king, he can change things for the better here on earth. That as his kingdom comes, good will be brought with it. Let's take a look at Psalm 72, verses 1 through 7 and 18 through 19. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Listen, the Bible stinks of this message. It's everywhere. The Bible is full of people looking at the world around them and saying, 
please tell me this is not all there is. And what does God speak into those moments of restlessness? Hold on. Hold on. Because I am coming. And when I come, the injustice, the frailty that dominates this world will be balanced out to where those who are suffering and hurting and in need, they will be heard and met in their suffering and hurting and need. And those who are oppressing will be what? Brought down. And things will become new. This is the cry of our hearts, not just for God to offer us a home, but for God to be real right here and now, right? We cry out for deliverance, not just from this world, but for this world. We want God to change things here and now, not just by giving us a new car or a new home or a new job. Or No, what God is doing is way bigger than than that, you see. God in this world where he is allowed to reign makes life more livable. He makes life more livable. So our restlessness for the end turns to a restlessness for God to be the one who restores us here and now. So we are crying out for, res- for restoration. But just because we consider ourselves to be close to God... It does not mean that we are necessarily ready for the restoration he is going to bring. I just want to warn you that we cannot be deceived that the restoration that God is going to bring is going to put us on top of everything because that has never really been God's express plan. We see in the coming of Jesus that there were many who said, They longed for the coming of God, for his reign to begin here on earth. But when they saw what God wanted to do here, the kind of restoration he wanted to bring, they rejected him once more. John the Baptist came before Jesus, preaching in the desert, living a life that not very many people would choose to live. He essentially was homeless, wearing animal skins and eating bugs. Dipped in honey, which I sure made them delicious. (laughs) This was the life he lived. In the wilderness, crying out, preparing the way for the Lord. Let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. But when he, John, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who wanted you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What an encouraging message that is. I don't know what gave it away. Was it the brood of vipers thing? Because I tend to think that's, you know, that's kind of how I greet people. Welcome, brood of vipers. But what John is saying is important, and, and I want you to understand why. It sounds outwardly like what? What does it sound like? Judgment and a threat, right? He's coming, and you better make yourselves right. And that is ultimately what he is saying here. But the message that he had to give was really important for this reason. God is coming to bring restoration, yes? Yes. But that restoration is not going to put those who always knew they were right, who always knew they were doing the right thing, who always knew that those people were not the kind of people that God wants, who always knew that they had the inside track the coming of God is not going to lift those people up. It won't. And so John tells them that they need to get ready. And here's something you cannot miss from this passage. John wants them to get ready. You see, he's not telling them, you are a lost cause. And there is nothing for you in this except to be brought down. No, what he is telling them is you have a chance to be part of the restoration that God has for this world, but that restoration starts with you and not with changing someone else. It starts with you. And you need to get yourself ready for what God is doing. And the way that you do that is you bring yourself down before God has to show up and bring you down. Because if you keep living this way, putting yourself above others, you are not living the restoration that God is bringing to this world. And the restoration that God brings is going to restore you in some really uncomfortable ways. So get on the train now. Don't get stuck to the front of the train, you know, as it runs over you. Don't be the person like on the front trying to hold on for dear life. Get on the train before it runs you over. Please. Look, it's not a threat. It's a wake-up call. You don't have to live this way. The axe is at the tree. It is going to be cut down. And this is not just any tree. This is not your neighbor's tree. This is your tree. You cannot just pay lip service to God and be a part of how he is restoring this place. You must be willing to turn your life over to him and get involved in the world-changing work of Jesus because this restoration is not about how God is going to change everything around you while you stay the same. You too must be changed by giving your life over to him and living not by the rules of this fallen place, but by the righteousness of the God who created it. Look, 
It does no good for us to call out for God's restoration when we are fully invested in the way this world works. Those interests conflict with one another. And they cannot live within the same tree and coexist. Which leads us to a striking conclusion. Jesus did not just want to come and change a wicked and depraved world. He wanted to change his own people. And in fact, that is where Jesus starts, right? His life, his ministry is spent amongst the people of God, trying to open their hearts to who God is. Think about that again. His ministry was amongst the people of God, trying to open their hearts to who God is. Why, why does it have to happen that way? Because how, God, how can God restore the world that we live in if he can't even restore those who believe in him? If they won't let him. So guess where the restoration starts? It starts with you. It doesn't start with someone else. It starts with you. His work started with those who had long claimed relationship with God, who had long been his ambassadors, and he wanted to change them first, and in so doing, he could change the world. And let me tell you something. That made people angry. That made people upset. That John spoke about them changing instead of Rome changing. Or that God called out the Sadducees or the Pharisees. Or that Jesus called them out instead of calling out the powers of this world. Because here's the frightening thing, you guys. The, the people in charge of God had become the powers of the world. And granted, their world was small and still under the control of a much bigger power, but they were the gatekeepers to God. Who could get in and who could get out, and they clung to that power with everything they had. How unfair is it, they must have thought, for Jesus to turn his eyes on those who were faithful when there were so many who were not faithful to God. How unjust to target the very tree he planted and then threaten to cut it down. But what did Jesus know? Oh, man, guys, the tree is already cut down. It's already gone. But there is new growth. And this new growth is good. So be a part of this, of what God is doing. And it's here that I realize that how I view this world, how I view everything that goes on within it, has a major impact on what I want God to do here. So let's back up a second. If I am not restless, but I'm comfortable, then I want God's restoration to look a certain way in order for it to be good for me. But if I'm restless and uncomfortable, then the restoration I want from God is much bigger, much grander, much more God-like because it doesn't just involve me. 
It involves the world. And so Jesus tries to instill this in those he spoke to, that you are to be restless here, that you are to want something else, and what you want is not just for you to be put on top. No, get rid of that idea. What you want is for God to come and bring the balance that only he can bring to this world, that those who are low are brought up, and those who are unnecessarily high are brought down, and when those things happen, everyone is living under the reign of God. And God will change the way this world works. So what does that have to do with peace? The people of God should be people of peace, and yet so often we are not. We are just as anxious, unsure, and worried as everyone else. And sometimes we read passages of the Bible, like the things that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, or what Paul says in Philippians, which Randy read this morning. And we put this value out there that anxiety or worry or fear is a sin that we should avoid. And we've turned it this way in our teachings, that when you are anxious or you worry, what are you not doing? You're not trusting in God. And therefore, your worry, your anxiety is a lack of faithfulness. And so the way you fix that (laughs) is to be more faithful and to stop worrying so much. After all, people will say to you in your most anxiety-riddled state, what good does worry or anxiety do for you? Aren't the birds of the field clothed? And I want to say yes, but their brains are about that big. (laughs) Like, I appreciate the fact that they get to live this carefree life, and if I could be a bird, I would be a bird. But I'm not. I'm this six-foot-two, 200-pound, anxiety-ridden fool. And telling me to be less anxious doesn't work for me. After all, guys, isn't there a reason that all the songs we have about peace are not about how peaceful we actually are, but about how peaceful we hope to be? When we somehow come to accept whatever it is that is going on in our lives. There is something scary about letting go of those things. This is another term we use. Right? You need to let go of your worries and your fears. And there is something worry about, there's something difficult, I mean, about letting those things go. There's something scary about giving up all those things that I may hold on to to God. I'm challenged by the call to be laid bare in front of him and to form me. Because let me tell you something. Letting God change us in the way that John spoke about, in the way that Jesus spoke about, is a scary endeavor. I'm challenged by the force of God's passion for redeeming everything around me, his lack of concern with his appearances, his willingness to go to places that I do not want to go. And it tells me something about myself that when I feel like I do not have control or I worry or I am anxious, this is when I have the least amount of peace, of course, because our lack of control causes us to be afraid. 
When I feel like everything is going how I want it to, well, in those moments, I think I have peace. But I don't really have peace. I just have a moment of calm seas. But there is a storm ahead of me. And when something is out of my control, my fear, my worry, my anxiety wells up in front of me. We live in a broken world that is out of control and needs restoration. So let me tell you something. You are going to continue to experience anxiety and fear and worry as things go up to the top of the hill and back down into the valley. As we navigate a world that is not meant to fulfill us, we are going to be afraid. But here's the thing. The world is not the only thing broken. I am broken also. And some people think that this realization is a bad thing. You shouldn't feel broken. You should feel restored. I appreciate that. Jesus loves you. You should feel good. I appreciate that too. But let me tell you something. Restoration means nothing if it is not restoring something that is broken. And if I don't understand my own brokenness in this broken world, then I am not going to receive what God wants to do in me. Because after all, if I just have surface scratches, then God just wants to kind of buff me out. You know? But if I drop my transmission about a half block back, there's more significant work to do on me. It's a scary thing to see in ourselves. But let me tell you something. Seeing the brokenness in the world and seeing the brokenness in ourselves is the key to peace. Do you know why? What can I do about the brokenness in the world? I can bring the love of God into this place. I can show it to other people. But am I powerful enough in my goodness to change the world and to heal its brokenness? No. Because you know what? What can I do about the brokenness within myself? I can try real hard. And I can put duct tape all around that brokenness. But it's not fixed. And it's not restored. I can do my best with it, but I will remain broken. Now, who is capable of changing this broken world? God is. And who is capable of changing the broken me? God is. In fact, Jesus showed up here to do just that. To change the broken me to change the broken you. And that is where we find real peace. The knowledge, the knowledge that I don't have to fix this world because it's going to stay messed up, and the knowledge that I am not called upon to save myself because Lord knows I can't do it. 
So the Son of God comes to this world and is born as a person to live amongst us, to show us the love that God has for us, to die on the cross and to be raised again so that life will be made new. Oh, church, there is no peace to be found in the next thing going right. But there is peace to be found in knowing the next thing will probably go wrong in some way, but God is bigger than whatever that is. And that one day God will come back to this place and he will make all things new. And listen to this image that we are going to leave with from Isaiah chapter 11 again this morning. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Infants will play near the hole of the cobra, young children will put their hands into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the, sea, as the waters cover the sea. And in that day... The root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. It is an absurd passage, but it's absurd on purpose, you see. Because when these words are true, God reigns on this earth. And when God reigns on this earth, the nature of the world is changed so that where there was once conflict, there will be conflict no more. Because creation is no longer struggling against God. We are no longer struggling against God. Instead, God has set everything right. And so we say, Lord, come quickly. We declare God, make things new in the world around us. And we say, God, start with me. For you are the only one who is capable of renewing this broken person. And as weird as it sounds, there is great peace in that. For just as our hope is based on the promises of God, so is our peace. That all this will go away. And God will make all things new. Amen?